0: Reading. Um, so at this time, uh, if you are able, please stand for the scripture reading out of respect for God's word. Our scripture reading is, this morning comes from Acts 25, verse 1 through 12. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the providence, providence excuse me, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about that man, let them bring charges against him. So after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as as you know yourself very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. This is God's word, and it's given out of his love. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Thank you, Nate. You did a great job on Caesarea. Well done. About four times. Good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron. I don't know that I've uh, met all of you. I see a lot of new faces to me out there. So welcome today to Missio Day. It's our heart that you would uh, connect while you're here today. If that didn't happen during the greeting time, we just invite you to stick around. I'm sure some folks will be going to lunch or some folks will be here uh, before we tear everything down. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to connect with you and just so glad and so privileged that uh, you join us this morning. So welcome to you. We are in this series headed through the book of Acts. We're almost done. And uh, today, as you heard, we're here in chapter 25 and 26. And I want to read a little bit at the end of chapter 24 to remember where we are this morning. So if you have a Bible or a phone Bible, if you just swipe back just a little bit, uh, chapter 24, verse 26, says at the same time, Festus hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Sorry, Felix hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Thanks, Felix. Appreciate that. Two years to do the Jews a favor. He leaves Paul in prison. Um, you can just imagine. Uh, such a discouraging situation for Paul. So unethical, right? We have a judge, we have a governor of the area who is trying just to curry favor and he's actually trying to get a bribe, you heard last week, from Paul. So in order to get a bribe, he just leaves him in jail and calls him into his courts every now and then to talk with him that maybe he'll give him some money and bribe him. I've been a part of justice systems like that overseas where you have to give people a bribe to do their job. Oh, you need me to show up at, at 9 o'clock and sign this piece of paper. What do you have for me? Right? Well, I would just like you to do your job. That's what I would like you to do. And th- that's the kind of situation that Paul is in so unethical and, and so discouraging, so helpless. Maybe some of you have felt helpless in certain systems like that, in situations uh, like that. Last week, we, we saw Paul before Felix, and Colbert showed us how there was an unfair trial, right? Right? sort of a kangaroo court, and there was, there was unethical leadership. and Well, Felix, like we just read, is succeeded by Festus. And as those great theologians, uh, masters of the text, the Who, so famously said, some of you might be able to finish this with me, I'll be very happy if you can. Those theologians, the Who said, here comes the new boss. Oh, come on, speak that out. Yes! Amen. Here comes the new boss, same as the old boss. There is, That's a sermon right there. There's a lot of truth in that statement, but that's what Paul is thinking. Here comes the new boss, and I get left in jail. Same as the old boss. New boss, same problems. And Nate read us a bit of the trial that Paul now is before Festus in chapter 25. You can flip over there if you're with me in 24 and 25 Paul's at trial again in front of Festus and and what Luke is doing Luke the, the author of the book of Acts Luke wrote this he was there as a companion of Paul he, he wrote this book what he's doing is he's doing a lot to compare Paul's situation to the trial of Jesus I don't know if you if you sort of bells went off a little bit when you were hearing Nate read that uh, there's the tug of war between Rome and the Jews you remember that from the trial of Jesus, there was Pontius Pilate, there was the Sanhedrin, now Pontius Pilate's gone, there's Festus, same Sanhedrin, different guys probably, but same, same uh, body there, and uh, there's a tug of war between those two, there's the unethical nature of the rulers, 30 pieces of silver, anybody, right, well that's what Paul, Paul is here again, unethical rulers wanting a bribe, leaving him in jail without a trial, uh, and then, I think the most, the, the most vivid connection Luke makes there is that Paul is innocent. And if you remember from the trial of Jesus, what did, what did Pilate say to the Jews? He said, I find no wrong in this man. Right? Well, in chapter 25, verse 7, look at verse 7 real quick. You heard Nate read it. Um, when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Right? So here's Paul, unjust accusations, he's innocent, and Luke is just showing us how you know, we get on the tricycle and, and we get on the stationary bike and we go around the cul-de-sac and here we are again, unethical leadership, unethical trial, and Paul is in the same spot. Why is that? What's going on here? I think it's important for us to know some background of the, the politics and the, uh, the judiciary at that time to sort of understand what's happening. So we're going to do a little history here. Um, so bear with me if you don't like that. Hopefully you'll like it. Uh, Festus, the new guy, the new boss, Festus, remained in the same precarious position as the other Roman rulers, needing to please both his boss, Rome, Caesar, has to please Rome, and also please the Jews, because that was the province that he was over, same province that Pilate was over, it's the same area, except now it's Festus. That's his province, he's over that. He needs to keep the peace, Make sure the Jews are happy. Things are going well. There's not an uprising. Remember last week how concerned they were that, and they were, brought that unjust accusation that, that Paul was leading an uprising, right? Serious crime in the Roman Empire to lead an uprising because they had this philosophy. You may have heard it. Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome. Everything's good. Keep everything settled. As long as Caesar is on top, let's just settle everything down. Keep everybody down, um, And so Festus is in that position. Got to make sure Caesar's happy. Got to make sure the Jews are happy. They don't want there to be an uprising, but they also want to retain authority. So they have to do this dance to try to make everybody happy. Anybody been under a leader who's trying to make everyone happy? Super fun. Just me, apparently. Uh, Not cool at all when it's like you're trying just to appease everyone. Oh, except the guy in jail, the accused, right? For two years, we don't care what he thinks. We want everyone else to be happy with the situation, right? Um, just echoes of, of things that have been through in, in my life. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the jurisdiction issue. I know that when you, you maybe saw on the handout this morning, you got the kids in the car, you woke up, drove to church. Man, we're going to hear about jurisdiction this morning. He's Who's excited about that? I I know you're breathless with anticipation, but it's important for us to know what's going on. So again, uh, there's the Roman governors, there's the Roman governors of the area, Festus, Pilate, and then there's these puppet kings over the Jews who were sort of like controlled by the Romans, but they were kings of the area. And that's way back to the villain of the Christmas story, King Herod. Anybody? King Herod. He was one of those. He was one of those under kings of the Jews, who's sort of a puppet of the empire. And now, we're, we're, who we're going to meet in chapter twenty-six in a minute here is King Agrippa. He's the grandson of King Herod. King Agrippa is. He's the grandson of that wonderful guy, King Herod, and uh, he's the new king. And so, they, so those kings were again trying to appease the Romans and sort of make the Sanhedrin happy. And so everybody is conflicted, right? Everybody is ethically conflicted here in their own self-interest, and uh, you see it over and over. We're going to read one here. Um, We read last week that they wanted a bribe from Paul, and now they're trying to do favors for the Jews. Look at verse 8 and 9 in chapter 25. Paul argued in his case, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar. See, there's those two jurisdictions, Jews, Caesar, above that. Have I committed any offense? But Festus, here we go, verse 9, chapter 25, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go to Jerusalem? And he said no, because they were going to ambush him. But, but he's trying to curry favor with the Jews. This is not justice, everybody, okay? I remember, do you guys know how we have to vote on the judges in Colorado, which I think is a great thing, but you get that big book, right? Every election, you probably got one recently, and, and they take you through the judges that are on the ballot, well, I remember a couple of years ago there was a judge who will remain nameless who had said he scored low in areas of interpreting the law and relationship with the lawyers. Recommendation, reelection. And I thought to myself, isn't that kind of the job description of the judge, right? Interpret the law, relate well to the lawyers. And, the, you know, the public defenders and all the, all the players there. Apparently not. Apparently you can be bad at that and still be a judge, right? And you'll see them recommended to... So I, I voted him out. I said no, but it told me to vote yes. Um, anyway, similar thing going on here. Like, the judges are not doing the job of the judge. It's okay to say that, right? This is unethical uh, leadership, and so the Romans had that jurisdiction. They wanted a bribe from Paul. They were unethically using that. To, they wanted a bribe. They wanted favors from the Jews. That's the Roman jurisdiction. And then the Jews wanted jurisdiction as well. And, and Nate read that for us that um, there in verse 3, the Jews were asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Yay, ethical Sanhedrin. If you could please transfer him back to Jerusalem, why? So that we can try him. No, we're just going to kill him on the road. So that, this is the environment that Paul's in. It's like, so, so that's why when Festus asks him, do you want to go back to Jerusalem and be tried there? Paul says, no, I'm good. <laughs> uh, I'm going to appeal to Caesar because I know what's going to happen if I go that direction. So the Jews wanted jurisdiction. They wanted to exercise their power, ambush Paul. Romans were exercising their power by keeping him in jail. Just complete dysfunction and unethical stuff. And in chapter 26, like I said, we meet a new character, Agrippa. He's the new puppet king in Judea. He's the grandson of King Herod. He's, uh, he's the current king and his sister Bernice. Now, the the historians say that there's all kinds of questions about um, Agrippa and Bernice's behavior. I'm not going to get into it. You can research that if you want. But there's all kinds of questions about how ethical that was, what's going on in that family. They're supposed to be brother and sister. Are they brother and sister? It just gets really bizarre. I'm just going to leave that to you. But anyway, not not ethical leadership here either. So Agrippa arrives, and, and Paul gives his defense in chapter 26. So he knew, Paul knew that the Roman jurisdiction was unstable, and so he took advantage of his rights, as we heard Nate read there at the end, and appealed to Caesar, as a Roman citizen could do if the governor won't hear your case. If the governor won't come to a decision, you can just appeal your case to Caesar, and that's what Paul did. He took advantage of his rights as a citizen. So I give all that to you. Check back in if you don't like history. I just gave that to you so you know what's going on here. Okay, Paul's stuck in jail with unethical leadership, and so he appeals his case to Caesar because that was his right to do so. So we see all this authority, unethical. We see all this jurisdiction fighting. Who's really in charge here? Who do we want to hold sway? And I think what Luke is trying to communicate through what eventually happens here and through the story is that God has jurisdiction. God has the jurisdiction over all things. Um, if you remember, or I'm going to read it for you in chapter 23, verse 11, here's what God says to Paul. The following night, Acts 23, verse 11, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts. Ooh, there's an interesting word in this story the facts. Testify to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Paul was headed to Rome. God planned it, and this this is one of those cases where God told Paul, that's what's going to happen, going to Rome. We wish that God would always do that for us. Probably a rare thing that he does. It was rare for Paul, by the way, as well. But this time he did. He told him, you're going to go to Rome. And then how that works out, that Paul gets to Rome, is a very... Serpentine, odd path for him to get there. I just have told you some of it. Well, there there was even more than that. You heard it last week, and there's all kinds of things going on. God had jurisdiction, and he is going to accomplish his purposes. You know, Festus could have actually just decided to transfer him to Jerusalem, where he would have been killed, but God actually kept him in Caesarea in jail for two years to save his life probably hard for paul to always see it that way don't you think that when he was in jail maybe at the at the 14 month mark that god is keeping me here for his good purposes right difficult to to process that that way but that's what he was doing god was keeping me in jail and safe but god has jurisdiction who has really been at work and at the wheel in paul's life Look at chapter 26 with me real quick. Flip over. This is King Agrippa and Bernice arrive. They have a big parade. They arrive and they they want to hear Paul's case. And Paul sort of lays out his testimony uh, starting in verse 13 of chapter 26. Paul says this, At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and to all the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Who's at the wheel? Agrippa? Pilate? Festus? God. God, Paul lays it out there. Uh, Why am I here? Well, there was a light on the road to Damascus. Who told you to be here? God said, I have a mission among the Gentiles that I will go and declare the Gospel to them. And here I am. Right? So through all the unethical leadership and all the machinations of justice and justice, Paul is here because God has him here. The true story is revealed there of who has been at work this whole time. Paul, like the reader, like Luke wants us to see it that way, and Paul sees it that way, knows that God... Has promised to get him to Rome. Don't forget verse chapter twenty three there. He's promised to get him to Rome, and his appeal when he appeals to Caesar turns out to be exactly God's way of doing that, of accomplishing his purpose. Oh, it's just a legal appeal that he made, you know, to, to save his own skin. No, no, no. God said, Paul's going to Rome. And so God used Paul's appeal to accomplish his promise. So Luke is showing us. And the Holy Spirit inspired him to show us that whatever dangerous unjust circumstances we face, whatever's going on with us, we are not outside of the jurisdiction of God and his plan for the universe we're never outside that. God is sovereign over all things. when I was a kid and I first got my driver's license, I had the brilliant idea me and my friends uh, we I lived sort of out in the country in Nebraska and so the towns were separated. It's not like here where there's kind of like town all the way to Fort Collins. It, it was separated. And so the thought was if you could get in your car and, and speed a little bit and you would cross over the city limits and then there'd be a gap and then you'd you know, head into the other city limits. Well, you are out of the jurisdiction of the you know Platteview, Nebraska police, and now you'll be in the jurisdiction of the Ashland police, and so they can't pull you over because you're outside the jurisdiction. This, this is the genius of 16-year-olds. Sixteen-year-olds don't do that. It doesn't work that way. Uh, police are able to pull you over whatever. But this was the thought, right? That if you can get out of the jurisdiction, that you could, you could shake it. Um, Luke here is saying, it doesn't matter what earthly jurisdiction you're under. You're in God's plan. This is our Father's world. This is his jurisdiction. And that's what I think Luke wants us to hear from this crazy trial and Paul giving his, his uh, explanation three different times under different puppet kings and different Roman governors. What, why, is, why is Luke doing this? Why did we read this whole narrative? It's to show us that God is in charge of this process and to comfort us in that. I think there's two implications for that. There's two implications um, that I want to draw out of that truth that were in God's jurisdiction. So you might, these, this isn't on your handout. You might want to write this down. Um, as we see in our story today, see in Paul's situation, God can use sin. <clears throat> God can use sin. Johnny Erickson Tata, some of you know who that is. She's a paraplegic, a wonderful speaker, author, painter, loves the Lord, follows the Lord, published a ton of books, read all of them. Johnny Erickson Tata. She said this, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits things that he doesn't approve of like unethical, Festus, the Jews laying in ambush, Paul sitting in prison for two years. God is not pleased by those things. See, sometimes we say, well, God's in control of the fact, like I did a minute ago, Paul's in control. God's in control of the fact that Paul was in jail for two years. That's what I said. And we say, oh, okay, so... So God's okay with the lack of justice in that scenario. No, He's not. No, He's not okay with it. And there will be, uh, those, those judges were held to account for that. There will be accountability for that, either in this life or on that great day. There will be justice for all of those things, for everything that has happened to you. We pray that folks will repent and, and believe the gospel and come to Christ and their sins and injustices will be forgiven. That's what we pray and we hope. If that doesn't happen, God is judge. And so just because God was in control of that does not mean that he was pleased by that. God could permit things that he hates to accomplish his purposes and to accomplish the things that he loves. Now, that's the deep end of the swimming pool. I understand that. And that brings about a ton of questions maybe in the circumstances of your life I just want to look at this story now and just we can see it because Luke told us the whole thing, right? We're all the way back to, we're all the way back to Acts chapter 9, when God appealed, appeared in a light to Paul and said, "You're going to preach in Rome to the Gentiles. Chapter 23, you're going to preach in Rome. All the injustice is done, and in and, and about a chapter and a half, he's going to be in Rome. So I'm just telling you what the Bible's showing here is that God uses all kinds of crazy things to accomplish that, what He loves. He, he's, Luke is trying to highlight that God has ultimate jurisdiction. Not Agrippa, not Festus, not Caesar. Which, by the way, Caesar was viewed as a deity in those days. He was on the he was on the money. His own pictures on the money. Caesar is Lord was the cry. That's why the Christians of the early church would say Jesus is Lord as a protest against that because it was Caesar is Lord. He was viewed, viewed as a as a deity. Um, he's not ultimate. What Luke is saying is, and he's showing is that even unethical leaders are not ultimate what an encouragement and a hope for these young churches the people reading this letter reading Paul's testimony knowing that Paul's headed to persecution these folks also headed to persecution you know the church was heavily persecuted in the first century I'm reading this letter from Paul and I'm seeing even Caesar even Nero all these leaders are not ultimate they don't hold my fate in their hands might feel like it sometimes but they, but they don't persecuting the church, these leaders, not ultimate, all under the plan and the rule of God. So that's the first thing we need to grapple with, is that God is in control, God is working, and we have to at times be patient, we have to operate without knowledge of of what God is doing, we have to cry out, as the psalmist David did, Lord, how long, why are you letting this happen? I'm sure. Paul let out a few how-longs for the two years in prison unethically. I'm sure he did. You may feel that way with things, some things in your life right now. Amen. It's biblical to pray that way. Pray that way. Pray, that, pray Psalm 13. But just know that God is working through all of those things, and God can use even injustice against you for His purposes in you. Always. So that's the first takeaway. God can use evil. God can use sin. And God sometimes permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. Number two. So, like Paul, we should maintain our integrity. <laughs> because we know God is at work, we can maintain our integrity in the face of corruption against us. Now, this is very countercultural today. Lately, there's a thinking, um, especially politically, but even in the church. Uh, I've seen it among some Christians even, that we can be unethical. We can be reckless. We can be rude. We can try to shame our opponents. We can play dirty pool. Why? Because we're doing it for the Lord. No. No, we don't fight with the weapons of this world, as, as Paul said somewhere else. The Lord doesn't need that kind of help from us not help right it it ruins the testimony of the church when, when we operate that way the ends do not justify the means they don't and so certainly as we enter into a political season and even just in our own personal lives the temptation can be Well, people are oppressing me i'm being treated unjustly so guess what's about to happen now right it's coming back around And and what we see from Paul here is is just a continual sense of staying blameless and staying ethical, presenting his case. He he made use of his rights as a Roman citizen. He appealed his case. It's not as though Paul's some sort of, you know, wilting flower who, who doesn't say anything. No, he's exercising his rights, operating ethically, but never, never fighting injustice with injustice. Never fighting cruelty and shame and rudeness with shame and cruelty towards the other side. Never that. And, and we should operate in the same way. God doesn't need that kind of help. He calls us to honor, respect, and love even in the middle of unethical systems. Doesn't say, Jesus didn't say love your neighbor as yourself as long as they're treating you right. It's not what the passage says, unfortunately. I added the end. Love your neighbor as yourself. You might say the decks are stacked against me. Maybe they are. People are against me. Maybe they are. That definitely was the case for Paul. Paul could say that. Paul Paul could say that for years. He kept his faith. He trusted in God. And God worked it out. Paul was ethical and blameless. Paul suffered unjustly for his sin. Rulers were unethical. God was sovereign. And Paul kept his honor. The, The temptation probably in addition to responding unethically and responding with anger and with sin, is to just have self-pity. It's one of the things that the Lord brought out of this passage for me this week is that self-pity is a temptation when you feel like you're in difficult times and you feel like people are getting the best of you, is to sort of have a woe-is-me attitude. I want to read to you from 1 Peter uh, chapter Two, if you want to write this down first peter two nineteen to twenty four this could be a good thing in d c s to to think about together is when are we tempted towards self pity first peter two nineteen for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. There it is, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of god for to you for to this you have been called because here's the here's the comparison to the trial of christ for to this you have been called because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to his father because he knew that God was judge and we are also sons and daughters of God. We can leave the injustices that have been against us to him. We can leave it to him. He will make all things right. Alexander Stolzanisin, he's the Russian separatist, great author. He was also in jail unjustly. He said, This you can resolve to live your life with integrity. Let your creed be this let the lie come into the world, let the lie even triumph, but not through me. There's a man in prison. Let the lie come into the world. Let it triumph even. The lie could get elected. The lie could permeate our culture. The lie could become common knowledge, but not through me. I'll stay ethical. And so we don't do that out of a sense of pride. As you heard from 1 Peter there, we do that because Jesus did it for us and out of his grace and his love, we can also act that way, not out of some sort of puffed up uh, pride. So like Paul, we should maintain our integrity. God can use the evil, and does use the evil in our world for his purposes, we can take comfort in that. We have to sort of go through a process there, right? We should mourn that. We should mourn. We should cry out our guts to God. We should pray our guts out and ask him why this is happening. And then, and this is a cycle, by the way, it's not one and done. And And then we rest in the fact that, yes, he is working through these situations. And if you have to do that in five minutes and then again in about three hours you are living the Christian life. That's what we do. We, we have faith, we cry out to God, and we come back to that place of faith, repentance. That's how, we, that's how we walk with him. So as we go to our tables, there's some questions about maybe some things in your life. When was a time when you didn't know God was working when he actually was? When was a time when you were treated unjustly and God used that? I, I put those questions there to maybe help you encourage someone else to your table because God uses us for that, right, in each other's life. God uses us for that, and so I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. I want to end with a quote uh, from Abraham Kuyper. He said this, There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's the world that we live in. We're going to sing in a little while later today the great hymn, This is My Father's World. That's what that hymn says. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that, oh, the wrong seems off so strong. God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. And we wait for that day. We wait for that day. Um. That hymn is such, a, is such a great truth and yet so easy to forget when we're being treated unjustly that we still, we still are living in our Father's world. And this, I mean, this, this passage has worked on me this week just because, again, I have that tendency towards self-pity and start to get into woe is me and why is this happening to me and, and people are all sort of against me in a way that's, that's out of balance. Like, I'm, I'm having a harder time than person A and person B. Why is that? This is unfair. And man, that just leads us into all kinds, of, all kinds of sin. Coming back to gratitude for what God has done. Coming back to resting in his rule over all of our life is, is repentance for those things. So I just invite you to that with me if you have a tendency towards that as well. So I, I will pray for us. And we'll go to our tables this morning and just chance to, in, to encourage each other. If you found yourself in prison for two years and it wasn't your fault... Literally or metaphorically, you're among friends in this place and in the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though the wrong seems off so strong, you are the ruler of our world. And we want to walk in that. We want to take that truth out of this place and into our workplace, into our schools, into our homes. We want to rest in that. We don't want to hide behind um, self-pity or, or hide behind revenge and and returning evil for evil. We don't want to operate that way, God. That's not Your will for us, not Your desire for us. And so we need Your Spirit to help us with that. And so just like Paul, we can, we can stand under injustice, boldly present Your truth, operate in a way that shows that we know who the ruler is. Would you help us to those ends, God? And give us openness and, and uh, just encouragement at our tables now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. So we're going to spend just a few minutes preparing as we uh, get ready to go to the, to the communion table this morning. So as I was thinking about this, thinking about Paul and um, here for several weeks, he's been like having to defend himself in front of a trial. And I thought, I, I don't think it's very likely um, that Lyle's going to come and drag me before a judge and I'm going to have to um, defend myself or defend how I'm living my life in Stetson Hills. Um, so, but I did think that um, someday um, I'm going to be dragged before God and I'm going to get to... Um, have to give a defense of how I've lived my life uh, in Stetson Hills. And um, one of the verses that came to mind is from Romans. Um, And in Romans 8, um, starting around verse uh, 31, um, this is Paul writing, and Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also... How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And it goes on uh, later on and you get to the coffee cup verse. uh, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors uh, through him who loved us. Um, But uh, I thought about this passage, and this, this absolutely has to be our defense um, when we stand before God. Um, and so for anyone that believes in Jesus, this is your defense. So uh, maybe just five minutes ago in discussion table, you decided um, God got a hold of you and uh, you believed in Jesus. Or maybe it was five years ago in a D.C. or 50 years ago, some of you. Um, but if, if Jesus has saved you, this is your defense. Um, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So if you believe in Jesus, then this table is open for you. And it's a reminder that Jesus died for us. His body was broken. His blood was poured out for us. Um, And if you haven't yet believed in this, uh, I'm going to be in the back with my wife, and you can come and pray with us. Um, We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. So uh, we're going to sing a few songs, and, and we're going to worship. Um, let's pray. God, thank you so much. Um, thank you for being our defense. Thank you, Lord, for uh, returning to heaven, for interceding for us continually. These things we pray in your name, Jesus.